Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it's Tuesday the 3rd of September. I'm Jules Breach. He's Andy Brassel and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Gunnar Solskjaer's team has dropped seven points already. A draw at Southampton follows defeat to Palace. Means Manchester United's unconvincing start rumbles on. Anybody with half a brain, with respect, looks at David Luiz and says, why do you want that in your dressing room as a centre-half when you've got a defensive unit that is not a unit? Let's start with Manchester United, Andy, because their troubles continue, really. I think... Coming into the season, United fans probably had quite a bit of hope that things were going to start better than they have. But we're four weeks in. They've won just one match this season. In fact, they've only won one of their last nine games and particularly their away record is just atrocious. They haven't won on the road since that brilliant win at PSG back in March. It's their worst run in quite a long time. And I think it's funny that you mentioned the the Paris Saint-Germain game because... I know it's not fashionable to say that they're a little bit lucky in that. Although they were lucky that PSG treated it like they just needed to turn up to win. And they were lucky that well, they had five shots and they ended up with three goals as, as, as well. They were fortunate, but that was kind of the moment that everyone felt like this is the new United and they're going to kick on from here. And it just hasn't really materialised since then. But wasn't it always narrative above substance? I mean, I, I tend to think under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's very hard to dislike. It's all about the packaging, isn't it? Because, I mean, I remember when he'd just taken over, um, I was with my family up in Newcastle at Christmas and New Year, and I went to see them at um, Newcastle on 2nd of January. And, um, you know, it was proper first flush of Ole. People were loving it. And uh, that's when Ole's at the wheel was getting sung all, mm-hmm. all, all, all the time. And they won 2 0. They were awful for, for, for most of that game. And it just got totally glossed over because, you know, the, the Solskjaer bandwagon was marching on and all the rest of it. And I think we talked about this already so far this season that we can all sometimes be a little bit guilty of taking the result and working backwards, uh, using the answer to create the working, which is... To create a question. Yeah, which is which is not really the truth of how things happen. And I just feel that the results since, 
he didn't do that much wrong last season. I mean, given where they were, the fact that they were still in with the chance of getting in the Champions League with three weeks left of, of the season, you know, I think you could argue was a triumph of, of, of sorts, even though it's a come down from what Manchester United and their fans are, are, are used to. Um, I, I, t- I kind of feel that the results have, have leveled out to where we always were in, in terms of content. So in terms of, I don't feel they've plummeted or anything like that. I kind of feel like the standard has stayed pretty much the same. Now, there are other questions, of course. Should Manchester United, given especially what they contributed to the first 10, 15 years of the Premier League, should they be playing football like that? Or should we be entitled to expect more from them? I mean, maybe Manchester United should be playing better, less reactive football. And I can't help but feel that if Jose Mourinho was still in charge, he would have got a lot more stick than Solskjaer, mainly because he's less likeable and people have a feeling of what he's about. Now, the feeling that people, especially, I guess, people who mainly watch the Premier League, the the, the handle they have on Solskjaer is still based on him as a player because what happened with Cardiff can be written off as a blip. It can be written off as a really long time ago and because Cardiff don't have the same profile as Manchester United, it's maybe not seen as in as great detail as, as it, by, by fans at large as it is perhaps by Cardiff fans. Um, but yeah, there are, there are huge question marks over him and um, yeah, I, th- I think they're right to be concerned. I think it's sometimes unfair to do what I just did and kind of go back to that PSG game considering it was last season. Sometimes it's a bit it's a bit unfair and a little bit unrealistic to kind of go, oh, you haven't won away from home since then. When really, oh, It's should... a massive deal if you're Manchester United. It is though, isn't it? Yeah. But when you focus on just what's happened this season in, in the space of four game weeks and we look at the time that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has now been in charge... He's had the whole of this summer to work with this squad. And I think that the reason that United fans are getting restless is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of growth other than the fact that they signed Maguire and Aaron Wambasaka, who were two great signings that they needed to obviously bring in more defensive options to to, to boost the squad and build the squad around. Yeah. However, I think the thing that the fans are getting restless and a bit irritated by is that they haven't brought in any midfield replacements. They haven't brought in anyone in that midfield, particularly now Sanchez going, obviously Lukaku's gone. They didn't really bring in a replacement for Lukaku either. And Herrera. And Herrera is out. Valencia's gone as well. Smalling's now left. Damian's left. There's been a lot of players leaving the club and not that much growth coming in. And I think it's got to a point now where I've got a few friends that are Manchester United fans that are saying that even if this was all we had to to kind of deal with for the rest of the season, because obviously, who who knows, they might bring other players in in January. Mm. If this is the squad that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to use and to kind of hopefully, you know, carry on throughout the season with and, and build around and be successful with, is he the right man for it? Some of my United supporting friends are saying they don't think that tactically he has that kind of skill to to develop this team. I think an interesting point in that, adding to that is, um, 
Lars Sivertson, obviously a, a friend of football, Ramble Daly, and um, appeared on, on the continent before, um, who has spent a lot of the last years of his life on Solskjaer watch, not mm-hmm. entirely voluntarily. Um, I think he's expressed, certainly when Solskjaer got the United job, there's quite a bit of surprise in, in Norway about it. Um, well, it's and, the biggest, biggest thing out there, isn't it? There's a there's Norwegian TV who do all of the Champions League games. And whenever yeah. I'm pitch side, I see them. They're such a nice bunch of people. But the presenter who works for them was saying to me, this is the hugest thing that's ever happened yeah. in Norway. Like, it's so big. She said, we are now going absolutely everywhere that Manchester United go because this is the biggest thing that's happened to Norwegian football. I mean, it felt like it kind of happened by default. That's not to say he's he was a bad interim choice. That's not to say he shouldn't have taken the opportunity. Of, of, of course he should have. Um, but w- when you've gone through the failings, certainly in terms of recruitment, that's something we can't lay on him. And that's a, that's a problem. I think the most likely scenario, when they get to the situation, eventually when they decide to change and whether that will be in the middle of this season or at the end of this season, but I feel it will be one of the two. Um, I think he'll be more than entitled to sit back and think, I, I could have done with some support there. But what they don't have in, in football management structure, that's the problem really. You know, Who really is in charge of buying the players? Where is the expertise in charge of buying the players? And you look at the people who've been linked, by and large, the, the vast majority of candidates that have been linked um, to United as, as a sporting director or some such. You think... What actually do they offer? Where's the where's the speciality? Where's that extra bit of know-how? And you know, with fully accepting like the contribution that Mike Phelan has made as a player, as a coach at various points, making someone like him the sporting director, and of course that's not happened, but is something that's been mooted as a, a, a possibility. What does that actually offer apart from saying being able to say we've got a sporting director? I don't think it gets any closer to to figuring out their their problems. So I think when he does get to the end at, at some point, I don't think in the not that distant future, he will get to the end. Solskjaer will look around and think, you know, I really could have done with a hand. It'll be really interesting to kind of get inside Solskjaer's mind and what he was feeling at the time that he got offered the job permanently. Because Mm. I remember a few months ago when it happened, there was so much in the media about you have to give Solskjaer the job now. Look what he's done. Look how he's turned United's season around. Look at the run we've been on since he's taken over. When really there was no rush. When really there was was no rush at (laughs) all. And it was was such a knee-jerk reaction to the short-term results that he picked up. When really, I know Paul Lintz was absolutely hammered for it at the time, but he said, I could have gone in and done that. I could have turned it around. They needed Mm. someone to kind of boost morale at the club. Ole was obviously the perfect person for that. He proved that. They just needed the break with Mourinho rather than needing Solskjaer specifically, you mean? I think so. And I think that now that it's got to this point where we're a few months ahead of that, United fans are starting to worry that this isn't the right decision. Maybe they already knew that, but Mm. I know a lot of my friends were kind of quite happy really to come into the season with Solskjaer 
as the boss because by the time you've appointed him back in, when was it, April, March, April yeah. sort of time, that, you know, it, it's it got to a point now where he's had his his time. He's had that time to kind of bring in players, obviously with Manchester United at the helm of it all. But it's got to a point now where I feel like they're getting a bit worried about how much he can do with this current squad. Yeah, and I think they're right to. And I think one of the most concerning things, and um, you know, we talked about him last week, and it's clear that he's a player with not just enormous potential, but a lot of ability to to change things in the short term. I think the fact that Dan James has been maybe their most outstanding player so far, and certainly their most eye-catching player so far, that's a concern, isn't it? that a 21-year-old comes in from a championship side and clearly he's got enormous ability and could develop into a really, really good Premier League player. But to have him leading from the front, when you look at the other players that are there, that, that reflects quite badly on the, on, on the current squad. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think as well, you know, you think of the international breakers, a time to you know, recharge reassess certainly from the management perspective because you know you don't really have time to get on the training field and do everything with everyone going off to to internationals um look at the match you've got up next they've got Leicester at Old Trafford if I was you know aiming to put a bet on that sort of game which isn't really my cup of tea (laughs) if I had to predict a winner basically I don't think I'd pick Manchester United I look at Leicester at the moment and think they look a lot more equipped for this Premier League season than United do. I completely agree with you. I think Leicester have started the season really well and look very assured. Very, They very much have... Brendan Rodgers has clearly a philosophy and a style that he wants to play with and the players obviously agree with that and they completely back him and you can see the confidence on the pitch when Leicester play. But given that, what happens if as we have just both said that we think has got a fair possibility of happening. If Leicester go there in just under two weeks and, and, and win, what next? I don't think anything will change, personally. I don't think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will get sacked. Do you? Well, I, I Not don't, that soon. I, it's, it's unlikely, but it puts an enormous amount of pressure on the club to do something to figure something out. And what do you do when you're outside of a transfer window? I mean, as you know, they can't make a signing to uh, placate the team. How can they really help Solskjaer now until until January? The trouble is, as well, is when you've got injuries to players and particularly Martial, who stepped into that void when Lukaku left and seemed to be actually, I thought I thought he adapted to that role quite well in the games that we've seen him. Mm. As soon as he got picked up that injury last week, heading into the weekend, even though it was at Southampton, United fans are instantly worried because they know that looking at their the bench, stretch. they've got Rashford or Mason Greenwood. And Greenwood hasn't started a game for United in the league. He's a young lad. He's not proven yet. That's that's a worrying place to be as a, a team who should be finishing in the top six every season, should be finishing in the top four, really, if you look at them 
historically. Or higher. Or higher, or winning the league. That's what the fans want. Yet they haven't got a striker as backup. I'll tell you what, Mason Greenwood is one heck of a, a PR godsend though. I think you look at that and not just for Solskjaer, but for the club because... You know, he's very promising, again, when he came on against Southampton at the the weekend. And we've kind of seen this with with Barcelona at the weekend and Ansu Fati, uh, 16-year-old, becoming the youngest ever goal scorer for for Barcelona. A young player doing his stuff does cover a multitude of sins, doesn't it? And, you know, there may be all these fair reasons that we can give that Manchester United are not pulling in the right direction. Squad construction, lack of football management... Is the right guy in charge? What Solskjaer is very good at doing is harking back to United history. And he is as aware of, of anyone of the importance of having academy products in that team. Well, and, he... and, and that Greenwood does something. I mean, that does stir something in the fans, doesn't it? I'm not saying for a minute it blinds them to everything that's wrong, but it does create a certain sense of goodwill that, 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 that gives you at least a degree of breathing space. You want to have a foundation to, uh, to build from and uh, the thing is if we keep getting battered and chances and chances and chances you know there's loads of work to be, uh, to be done. We're on the right track, we're not conceding many chances. The concern isn't the amount of chances we're conceding, the concern is that uh, they are very efficient when they score. Well, we just spoke about Harry Maguire there. So from one defender to another, Andy, it's now time to have your little love session with David Louise. <laughs> that sounds dodgy, doesn't it? I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a bit of a secret, right? So every week when we um, have a little chat on WhatsApp about what we want to talk about on Tuesday's Ramble, we all chuck in a few ideas here and there of what, what we want to say. And uh, this week, to quote Andy Brassel on WhatsApp, he said to me, I bet you're looking forward to my passionate defence of David Louise. And I responded, I cannot wait. So Andy Brassel, <laughs> take it away. Well, he seems to have carried the can for a, a lot of Arsenal's shortcomings so far. Uh, going back to his, his, his first start against Burnley, which, as you said, was only uh, three games ago now. Um there's a lot wrong with Arsenal at the moment, just as there's a lot wrong with with, with Manchester United. Um, I have to say, I don't really know what people were expecting of, <laughs> of David Luiz. If you're expecting consistent defensive excellence, what player have you been watching for the past? So, like, you know, he's been part of the Premier League on and off for like a decade now. So what are people really expecting? I know, I know what you're signing when you get David Luiz. You're getting personality you're getting a leader you're getting a dressing room presence you're getting, you're getting awesome hair you are getting awesome hair and they've got plenty of that with especially with Matteo Guendouzi having such a brilliant game against Spurs Double at the bubble. weekend absolutely uh, but you know it, we know he's not the most consistent of defenders we know he can he can be an incredible defender on his day as he was in the the, the 2012 Champions League final for for Chelsea for example um but i think you know buying a dog and then complaining that it barks is a very, very weird approach. You're comparing David Luiz to a dog. Yeah, a tough right. dog. A war dog. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think I don't think you, uh, Arsenal fans were expecting him to change their defence. When they signed David Luiz, 
I don't know a single Arsenal fan that kind of jumped for joy and thought, yeah, this is going to change our season. However, what he does bring to Arsenal is a bit of experience. And I think the reason it's been disappointing is because he has made a couple of mistakes that have led to goals, hasn't he? Quite obvious ones. Yeah, but like I said, that's really a, a given. I think the most concerning thing for Arsenal fans, it seems to have negatively affected Socrates so far as well. He's looking flustered. <laughs> he certainly looked flustered more than once against against Tottenham. Um, I have a lot of time for for, for David Luiz. Ever since he, he first arrived in, in Europe with, with Benfica, he's someone who... It's been about personality and it's been about taking risks. Um, of course, you can do that in a more easily in a context with with Benfica, where especially when he first joined, they were very, very dominant um, in 2009, 2010. He, he had a terrific season and, you know, he, he could he could get away with stuff because they weren't often challenged. That's obviously different in, in the Premier League. He's clearly up to the physical side of it and, you know, this guy is, if if we're talking about what he's good at, which is leaning from the front, he's an absolute warrior. I remember interviewing him in New York when he was with Paris Saint-Germain um, before the start of the season and us talking extensively about um, the World Cup. This was after the 2014 World Cup. I, th- I think it must have been 2015, perhaps. And um, it, we also talked about um, his role in the 2012 uh, Champions League final when his calf was absolutely mullered and he went um, in the face of all medical advice to to turn out in that Champions League final and, you know, gave one the performances of his life um, as, as he helped Chelsea get there and win the European Cup from what was a really unpromising situation, especially earlier in that, in that season. So that's why I'm such a fan. I think because it's not just about personality in the sense that, He's a fun guy. He's something that will give everything for the team. And I think that's very important. And to me, that's the most promising bit from Arsenal's early season. Again, like Manchester United, no one's no one realistic is expecting the, the, the perfect. But what you get with players like David Luiz and also Danny Ceballos as well um, is you're getting players who, to me, are taking Arsenal back towards a better time of Arsenal because they're players who are in your face. They're players who are not afraid to um, express themselves on the pitch and really get stuck in in the, in in the thick of battle for the team. I think that's really important. Now, I think to look at players like Danny Ceballos last week, playing a couple of rogue passes against Liverpool and it didn't really go that well for him in only his second game in the Premier League. And David Luiz for having lapses of concentration. You know when you get them that this stuff is going to happen. They're players who take risks in in every sense. What they're bringing to Arsenal is a bit more of the spirit, a bit more of the attitude that they've really lacked, I think, in, in, the, in the last decade. That's something that's really been absent for them. But to call them up on stuff that you know is going to happen and stuff that they need to have teammates that are going to cover for them. That to me is, is, is just ridiculous. Why, why would you take that attitude? In fairness, on all the positives you mentioned there, I thought the atmosphere at the Emirates yesterday sounded brilliant. Mm. Unfortunately, I wasn't there. I was watching it at home on, on TV, but it just sounded amazing. And to show that character to come from 
2-0 down against your biggest rivals in the Premier League to come back, get a point out of the game and really, by the end, should have won it. It showed such great character and the the atmosphere in the Emirates, you know, for the past few seasons, there's been kind of rumblings, you know, the Emirates, it's not the same atmosphere as it used to be mm. and all that kind of stuff. I thought yesterday was a great advert for football at the Emirates and the North London derby. It couldn't have been better, really, from a neutral's perspective, watching it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder if Spurs and their terrific new stadium has made Arsenal fans think, all right, we need to up our game a probably, little bit. Probably, probably. And I would love to believe that's the case. I mean, you know, you, you've always had people making little jokes about Highbury, the library, and have, have said that the Emirates have, has never had any atmosphere. I would retort to that, that actually, especially under the lights and people always talked about the old White Hart Lane under the lights and quite rightly it was a very special place but Arsenal on a a European night under the lights is actually pretty noisy now if they can bring that more into the Premier League on a on a regular basis that's something for the team but I do get the impression that Arsenal fans have been ground down a a bit in recent years you know they've, they've just heard the same thing every year from the board um and you know they've seen the same thing on the on the on the pitch every year from the players, and I think now they've 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 got an opportunity. I think this year is their best opportunity to get back into the Champions League in a while. That that fourth place is saying take me, and I think to show that they are not that far apart from Tottenham, not as far apart from Tottenham as a lot of people, including me, actually imagined at the start of the season to show that they could stay with them, I think really that should give them confidence. I think you look at that game. I I looked at that game and I thought, these aren't two teams of incredible quality. And I think a lot of people thought that and a lot of people thought how far apart they are from Manchester City and, and Liverpool. That stuff does not need to matter to Arsenal fans this season. Okay, medium, long term. Yes, of course it matters because Arsenal fans want to see their team back up there and challenging for the title. But in terms of this year... In terms of qualifying for the Champions League, that doesn't have to matter. And if they can, as you say, make the Emirates a place that's that's hostile and difficult again, have a team that is not without fault, but gets stuck in, that shows their willingness to atone for their mistakes when they make them, which Arsenal definitely did and David Luiz definitely did when they they played Tottenham at the weekend, then I think that puts them in a in a better place than they've been for the last couple of years. Just going into the Arsenal squad instantly improves their defensive options. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Um, so you will be aware, obviously, with the title of the show and whatnot, and with Herbie and Jules and me being Andy, that you can email us, <laughs> Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. It's all perfectly logical, isn't it? it is. And we, we have to say thank you as well, because um, so many people have sent uh, nice comments and, and nice feedback about uh, last week's episode and about all the episodes, but especially about last week's one. Uh, the discussion we had on sexism and racism, uh, particularly online, is something that uh, got a lot of feedback. Um, we've got so many emails. Um, so thank you for those. Unfortunately, there are more relevant than ever in the light of um, what happened to Romelu Lukaku at Cagliari uh, at the weekend. Um, you can hear about that on uh, yesterday's Ramble and we'll also get an Italian perspective, the latest on that from James Horncastle on Thursday's episode of On the Continent. Um, we've also got one piece of correspondence here from uh, Gareth Alton. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Gareth Alton. Alton. I reckon Alton. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, he says, hi both. Loving the new show. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Uh, Just wanted to see why Andy didn't think Everton were in the same zone as Chelsea, Leicester, Wolves and especially Watford. I'm not sure I did say that. I I, I, I felt pretty sure that... um, uh, if Le- you did, Leicester you're definitely up there. taking it back now, aren't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've, I've had criticism from Watford fans who uh, didn't think I put them in the good bracket. But anyway, uh, with the back line, including an international goalkeeper, the best fullback pairing outside the top two, Indina and mm, Coleman. Uh, and Coleman, actually, I think will be replaced by Jubal Sidibe, who's coming from Monaco. He's very, very good when he gets fully fit. Um, international centre-backs in uh, Mina and Keane, a midfield containing Gomsch, Sigurdsson, Delph, and an attack with Richarlison, Bernard and Kane, I genuinely think we're as well set as Leicester and Wolves moving into the season ahead. Our squad depth isn't bad either, with Sidibe, Baines, Gbamon, Davis, Iwobi, Calvert-Lewin, Walcott, and Schneiderlin. Is there something you feel we're missing that is putting Watford ahead of us for the season ahead? You've listed your entire squad there, Gareth. (laughs) I didn't say Watford were ahead of you. And uh, even if I had, they would have been rampantly disproving me over the opening uh, weeks of the season. When you look at the players on paper, absolutely no argument. I think the, the, the talent's there at Everton. I want to see it as a collective a little bit more. I don't think there's any reason that Everton can't push towards that spot. 
Um, absolutely. But I think in terms of collective, Leicester have been comfortably the, the, the best of those sides so far. Um, I would fancy Everton to finish above Chelsea, Watford, certainly, maybe Wolves. Um, of course, they've still yet to get off the mark in, mm. in, in terms of um, Premier League wins. Um, so they're, they're, they're enduring a little bit of toughness at the moment. I'm sure the international break has come at quite a good time for them. But yeah, I do think the, the, the quality at Everton's absolutely beyond question. Having said that, I do think Marco Silva has to find a way to, to put it all together. I, I'm not sure he knows what his best 11 is yet. Really? Is that because of what you've seen so far in terms of who he's deciding to start? Because he started Iwobi against Wolves on Sunday mm. um, and he started him in the cup midweek against Lincoln as well, didn't he? Mm. Finally, Moyes Kean got his start in the league against Wolves on Sunday as well. It was pretty good. And he was very good. He was He was good value and I think the fans have been kind of crying out for him to start haven't they mm. but are you saying that you don't know you don't think he knows his his best 11 because of the changes he's made and because he's waited so long to introduce them to a starters or is it I think there's so much to choose from because the squad's so deep yeah and we're only a couple of games into the season as well I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a criticism but I think it's something he has to work out like it's quite a like, nice position to be in though that you've got the option yeah ab- absolutely um, but you know, I think there are there, there are questions over who's going to be the holder in midfield, which is such a, a a key position as well. The big plus for them so far is is Richarlison. Now we know him and the coach get on great, and the coach really rates him. And I think the fact that Richarlison now is getting to the point where he's Brazil's number nine. I mean, that is an enormous boost for him. And to say out loud, actually, that it's, Everton it had Brazil's number that, nine. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty special. He was what immense I, on Sunday, wasn't he? he? He was. Could have had a hat trick. But we know he can Should be. Have had a hat trick. We we know he can be on his day, and he started Premier League seasons very well before. What we need to see from him is one whole complete season. And now you know when we were talking about this off air, Jules, you you made the point that it's not entirely his fault. He's been moved about a bit. Mm, played out of position for quite a lot of last year, and he was kind of expected to to play a role that he's maybe not comfortable with or mm. wasn't used to. So it's been good to see him this season kind of where he should be. Yes. Yes, uh, it is. But we need to see that whole season for him to make to make me a true Richarlison believer rather than just a Richarlison liker. <laughs> I think that's the, that, that's the next step for our relationship. Do you feel that with Richarlison? Because I, I like him as a player, but I'm like you, I'm not fully, I don't love him. Yeah, I, d- I don't look at him and think, oh, I want, I want him in my fantasy team. You know, he's yeah. not that player for me. I think it might be. Is there something there that kind of, I, I, th- I get a bit worried about Richarlison, whether he's going to make a rash tackle or get sent off, and I don't know where I'm getting that from. Whether it's just by the stuff he's done before. Yeah, probably. It's, <laughs> it's, I just feel like there's something, there's something in him that that that's got got that part of. He, he can be one of those players, can't he? And I think mm. that's why, for me, I'm not yet a lover as well. Yeah, I think I could say that about Everton as a as a whole. There's plenty to like there. I do love Luca Dina, though. I don't we all? Don't he's we all? Just what a player! He since he's come to the Premier League, he's taken it 
by storm. And I think he's one of the best fullbacks in the league. I think the difficulty for him has been to find a place where he can get justified recognition for his his, his talent because there wasn't really a place for him at, at Paris Saint-Germain. He found what he wanted at Roma, but decided to twist rather than stick. Couldn't find a, a spot at Barcelona. And again, no shame getting into that team. And then when you look at him in a French international context, there's an absolute avalanche mm-hmm. of left backs over there. So fighting your front, and fighting your way to the front of, of that queue, well, good luck. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. But that doesn't... Um, that doesn't do down it like what he's what he's got as a as a player and you know I think he's he's found a niche there and he's, he's absolute quality no doubt about it sixth in the league they've got a couple of nice fixtures coming up after the international break away at Bournemouth then at home to Sheffield United I'm not saying those games are pushovers but you look at those and you expect Everton to win both of those yeah it's a platform for something and then after that of Man- course they've got Manchester City mm-hmm. visiting and City don't really like going to Goodison Park do they so that will be a really interesting one. If they can win the two games in between and see themselves come into that in good fettle, we'll talk again after that, Gareth. Yeah, we will. Get in touch. Don't be a stranger. Probably the, the signing of the season for Everton in Fabian Delph. If Arsenal had Fabian Delph playing the way he did yesterday for Everton. Mail there. I do. We've got such a lovely email from Hannah Lilly. Again, Andy, you mentioned a moment ago that we had so many lovely comments both to the email address and on Twitter and Instagram as well. So thanks once again for all of those, um, all based on last week's uh, conversation that we had about sexism and racism on social media. And this one from Hannah has made me smile. She said, I've been listening to the Football Ramble and on the continent for a while now. And I have to say, my favourite part of the new Ramble Daily format is the Tuesday discussion show. Uh, she said, I've really enjoyed the mixture of the topics you discuss from the purely football to the societal issues around the game. It really is one to listen to calm, friendly and informed people on these topics without people talking over each other. Are we calm and friendly, Andy? I can't tell you how tempted I was to talk <laughs> over you then. <laughs> uh, she says, thank you so much. I was just listening to this week and Jules talking about sexism on social media around football punditry. And it was all so well articulated. Uh, the prejudice surrounding the game needs intelligent and considered discussion. And she said also, I have to say, I've heard very little about sexism, even from uh, BBC's Football Daily. And it's something that needs the spotlight on. Otherwise, it'll just go on and on. So well done. And she said, please keep up the good work, both of you. Love the chat and so glad this type of conversation has a platform. Um, thanks for that, Hannah. Yeah, um, thanks, Hannah. Yeah, we. I mean, we really enjoyed having that conversation. It's unfortunate we had to have that conversation, but we also agree that it's it's so important to have it and not, not enough people are having the conversation about the sexism side of it. I agree with Hannah there. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something we're, we're both keen on to talk about women's participation in the sport and obviously you'll be getting involved with the start of the WSL next week. I cannot wait. I'm I'm so excited. I'm sure sure that'll come up next week. Which which match are you going to? So, uh, for BT Sport, it's obviously the international break. So, instead of my usual duties on score and early kickoff, um, I'm going to the Etihad. They're letting you outside? Yeah, they're letting me out on the pitch. Can you believe it? I won't cause carnage, but I will wear heels, so I'll probably get told off. 
I need to. I'm too small. Grant, Grants uh, would hate you. Yeah, they do hate me. <laughs> I got told off at the Women's World Cup for it, and apparently I got like well known for it. I was like, oh, this is so awkward. Everyone was talking about the girl that wore heels on the pitch well, in Le Havre. L- I was like, look, oh, soz. If some if some leading sports company wants to provide you with boots, I mean, that's their lookout, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I'm going to be at the Etihad. It's going. It's the first ever Manchester derby in the WSL after Manchester United got promoted last year to the top flight. So Man City against Man United. What a game to kick off the WSL. Um, It's a little bit of a plug, but it'll be live on BT Sport half past two. And I'm going to be joined by none other than the Lionesses manager, Phil Neville, Karen Carney, who's just retired, and also Rachel Brown-Finnis. So awesome guests. I'm Quite sure a line have, up that. Yeah, I have loads of uh, good stories to tell you on next week's Ramble. So looking forward to it already. This was a Stakhanov production. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.